Sonny talks about how she would offer to help Javier Pena by cleaning up his desk for him. You'd like to you like to mess with him a little bit. You like to organize his desk, didn't well, you? Well, uh, first of all, is is Javier going to hear this? Because <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't, but Beverly might. Well, you know, all the time that um, when Javier was in Medellin, we were in, or Stephen was in Bogota, and I worked there in the embassy as well, so I was waiting to ride home with him uh, rather than go on the State Department van, and um, Javier's desk was in, uh, you you can't imagine how disorganized his desk was. He had piles of, I, I didn't realize I used my hands so much. Uh, and talking now, there was piles of papers. Every there was total disarray in his uh, in his desk. So I would, you know, stack everything neatly, organize it neatly. So he'd have a writing space, which he didn't even have. Welcome to Game of Crimes. Now, do your kids do your kids know that you almost gave them back because their pictures did not look good? <laughs> we hadn't accepted them at that point. <laughs> it's not. But, oh, Monica, Mandy, this is going to crush them if they listen to this. They episode. know all this. But, no secrets. You know, some people in the United States think that we got to actually go to an orphanage and like pick one out. That was not the case at all. Not at all. But. Um, but then going to get Mandy was another ordeal because we had to go. My understanding is you don't like helicopters. No, we had to go to Medellin to get her. So they don't do like baby delivery there. So, yeah, we had to get permission from the ambassador to travel to Medellin. He did not allow us to spend the night there. And for some reason, for her adoption, we had to go to all these different um offices through the throughout the city. She had to have a physical exam. We had to have a physical exam. All these boxes had to be checked before we could take her. But they also um, trusted us as foster parents. That's how badly they need homes for these babies. And she really was in it. Uh, we picked them both up at orphanage, orphanages, but they each were with um, foster mothers at the time. So we flew to Medellin early, early that morning, and <clears throat> he says somewhere along the line that, okay, they're, they're going to pick us up. The Columbia National Police are going to pick us up, and uh, they're going to see, you know, to our security. And um, so when we got there, he's like, okay, you know, the Colombian officer met us there, and he's like, your helicopter is out here. And I'm like, helicopter? And he's like, yeah, they've got a helicopter to take us. And I'm like, I'm not riding no freaking helicopter. Well, so he's like, well, what am I going to tell him? I said, that's your problem. I'm not getting on a helicopter to get a baby, for Christ's sake. So, and it wasn't it wasn't just helicopter. It was a Huey gunship. Yes, it was the gunship. Guns yeah, hanging out of it and stuff. So, was it was it just because of that? Is it not because you didn't want to ride? Were you scared of helicopters, or you just didn't want to have your baby coming back in an armed helicopter? Yeah, yeah, that was exactly. Yeah, no, I wasn't going. See, Murph. Now, if you've been thinking ahead, Murph, this is why she's not your daughter. 
like Monica is because <laughs> you wanted to you wanted to go guns a blazing in there. Probably do a you know twenty one gun salute. Oh, we got a baby. Uh, 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 you know, shoot some shit up. Mandy's the adventure one, the adventuresome yes. one. She would have loved it. So anyway, yeah. So he had to politely explain to them that we, you know, we really didn't require all the resources that day. We merely needed, um, you know, transportation. And so he's like, oh, okay, okay. And and so no more than how many caravandas through? Three carloads. Three. <laughs> so now we have, you know, open air Jeeps before and behind us with guns hanging out. And it's like, oh, well, let's just go to, you know, let's just go and see how that looks for an orphanage. But let's just telegraph it like somebody important is in the is in the procession. And it was a rainy, horrible, horrible rainy day. And here we are in this open air Jeep. So and I I, you've I'm sure never been to the airport in Columbus and Medellin, but it's out of the way out of the city and mountainous. And you just it's a curvy, curvy, you know, touch your butt kind of road to go to the orphanage and um and that's where uh that's where we got little Mandy. Well, so now you've got kid number 2 in tow. Mm-hmm. And and your thing the other thing too like I said you got you you basically were running out the clock, right? Yeah. Because you were leaving in June. Yeah. So if if you don't get Mandy, it's like you you probably wouldn't have a chance to adopt, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. So we got her at the last minute. I think we were in country 2 more weeks. After that, or so something? does does Mandy feel comfortable knowing is that she was your last choice? It's either you kid or we're getting out of. <laughs> no, no, no. That's it. You're it. Yeah, if we don't take you, we're you know we got squadoosh. So come along, kid. Anyway, but it was a it was a no return policy on that one for sure. Yeah, I know. No, but you know we have a return policy. Well, hey, I know that there's some things too. Um, that you know, you you eventually end up leaving Bogota uh, in June of '94, and you you go back to the United States. I know that you lived in some different areas, but what I want to do is kind of bring it forward because we want to, in our time that we have remaining here, you know, we want to talk about narcos and get to that. But, but overall, though, you guys lived in a lot of different places. You lived in Atlanta, you lived in Greensboro, uh, you moved back to the D.C. area, uh, and now you're now you're back down in Florida. Out of all of the places that you guys ended up moving to. You know, um, what were some of your what were some of the favorite things you liked? For example, about um, you're supposed to go to Charleston, but Steve screwed up. He apparently pissed somebody <laughs> off. Have. Got sent to Greensboro instead. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what'd you think of Greensboro? Well, I had to look on the map to see where Greensboro was. <laughs> so did Steve. <laughs> I, knew, I knew nothing about North Carolina at all. Um, uh, Greensboro is an awesome city. It's a it's a good size city. Not too large. Not too small. Um, Beautiful city, you know. They have the pretty green rolling hills there, and um, I, I was so absorbed with taking care of two babies at the time. <clears throat> um, most of our neighbors were from somewhere else. We had we lived on a court, and uh, we met some great neighbors that helped tremendously with two babies. They had children that were that loved babies, and I was like, "Oh, please come over and play with them." and um, we still keep in touch with that family. But you also lived in Atlanta. What'd you think of Atlanta after being in Greensboro? I liked Atlanta uh, a lot. Um, again, we there we moved into a new subdivision, so everyone was new. That was a plus compared to in Greensboro. People 
had a lot of their family. They really, more people in Greensboro were not open um, as, you know, people from other places, transient people. And in Atlanta, when we moved into that neighborhood, everyone was new to the neighborhood. So that was, that was great, um, you know, to get off on that. And most people had young children, so our girls made good friends there. And we still have friends there that we stay in touch with as well. Unbeknownst to me, Steve actually looks like he had some kind of potential inside DEA because they kind of kept promoting him, mm-hmm. which I know probably came as a shock to you too, right? They're promoting <laughs> this guy, you know? Yeah. The same guy that was a jerk and arrogant the first time I met him. But I told uh, you they needed a token hillbilly and that was it. They asked Murph, he'll do it. Yeah. Well, but you guys ended up moving. So I moved out to Ashburn in uh, January of 2000 and you guys moved out as we find out now you ended up moving back to Ashburn twice, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one house Mm -hmm. just down a few. We were actually, we didn't even know this. We were actually neighbors at this time, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm still same place. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but what was it like moving back to uh, Washington? Cause then you ended up moving back to Atlanta again and then moving final move back to Washington um, when, before Steve retired. So what was it like moving around all those times? Oh, well, you know, it's like a military family. Every three years I was ready to move again. I just was in that mindset, even today. You, you were ready to move or you were prepared to move? Cause there's a difference. Like I'm tired of it. I want to leave. Or you're just like, I, I know in three years we're going to have to pack up and move again. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to move again because that was just seemed like our life. It's like, well, it's time to go. Let's, you know, let's, uh, let's, find out where we can go next. And we we never lived around family, so we didn't have anyone holding us back. So yeah, you could pick up and move. So, But when Steve moved out here to uh, Ashburn, you know, uh, Virginia, uh, the first time, he ended up working for Derek Maltz. Did you ever get the honor of eating, <laughs> singing across from Derek Maltz during dinner? <laughs> oh, Derek is, he is a crazy man. Uh, when he worked with Derek, sometimes Derek would leave him voicemails and and he would play those, and we would just sit there and laugh. I mean, Derek, he's a special guy, of course. Uh, he and Stephen have a special relationship, but he is one crazy man. He could make anyone anyone laugh. Absolutely. Yeah, he definitely uh, ran into Derek, obviously, you know, early on, too. But, uh, well, let's let's kind of start bringing this full circle, too, because Steve has a long career. I mean, you've, you've worked in some places, some places you haven't, because now you've got uh, Mandy and Monica. Um, and you're raising the, the kiddos and stuff. But at some point, Steve, you know, starts figuring out, hey, man, I got to retire. But when when he started thinking about retiring, but you've also got this thing about they've had this Pablo Escobar thing hanging in the background for a long time. And now there's this potential of something maybe with a TV series and stuff like that. Did that really register with you at that point? Did that somebody wants to do a TV series about us being down in Colombia and uh um, having a cat and, you know, adopting two kids. And, oh, by the way, there's that Pablo thing that you totally glossed over mm-hmm. when we were talking about the kids. But I can understand why, Prad parent. So um, what was it like, though, when, you know, when the, the career is starting to, you know, um, come to an end uh, and you're thinking about what's life after this? Well, to back up a little bit, when the day that Pablo was shot, Stephen had my camera with him. Lo and behold, he had that red shirt on. I don't know why. Because he wants to work at Target in his, you know, in his retired life. It was red shirt day. And he came home with all this, you know, film, which we had to have developed then. And we were like, what do we, what can we do with this? And we, we tossed around several ideas of just holding on to it, not having it developed. 
uh, mailing it back to my parents in the States, letting them develop it. We thought, well, it could be destroyed, you know, from here to there. Um, and in the end, he just handed it over to one of those photo, what was it, photos something there. on Photo hapon. But someone told us then, I don't remember who it was, someone made it very clear to us then, this will be big one day. And for some reason, that stuck with me, that this will be big one day. So I don't know if he's thought of it that way, but when we started hearing about, um, you know, the calls started coming in about movies or or whatever, I, I, that came to mind, you know, as long as it's been, this is going to be big, maybe. Um, I didn't know if it really would, but... It, you know, it was definitely in the back of my mind. And to get to that, at some point, Steve obviously has to retire. So what's it like for you watching him after 38 years, you know, hanging it up, you know, saying that this is, you can move, you can do things. It's like leaving Bluefield to go to the uh, railroad police and then railroad going, but this is, this is now the end. There are no jobs after this. Um, how did that affect him? How did that affect you knowing that, hey, we're hanging up the spurs. That's it. We're riding off into the sunset. I can believe it. Uh, he talked about it, you know, off and on for maybe a month, and I really didn't take it serious. I really didn't think he would. I, and it, the, as it got closer and closer, I kept expecting him to back out, and he didn't. And even the last day he went to work, I said, are you sure are you sure this is what you want to do? And he was like, I'm I'm dead sure. And I was shocked because that's who he was. You know, this is the person that I knew. Um, as long as we'd been married, I mean, you know, that's a long time. That's who he was. He was DEA. And um, I didn't know that he could be happy again doing anything else. He loved it that much. So... Um, I thought, well, I was working at the time again, so I thought, well, I told him, you're going to have to figure this out on your own because, I mean, forever you hear about retirements and what do you do after retirement? And I kept working. Um, I said, you're just going to have to figure this out on your own. I don't want to be there. You know, you need to figure out what direction you're going in if this doesn't pan out. So... I just, uh, I continued with what I was doing. You're like, I don't care what you do. Just stay the hell out of my way, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> well, the crazy thing was he, I don't know if any of the listeners have ever had a husband to retire and they're home alone, but, oh my God, he put his hands everywhere they shouldn't, he was, you know, tinkering in my stuff, <laughs> in my <laughs> computer <laughs> files and he changed every freaking password that we had because he didn't know any of the passwords because I had been the one. Operational security. I, yeah, right. I had been the one paying all the bills. I had been the one using the PC. He hadn't. And anytime he came upon something needed a password, instead of asking me. He just reset it. forgot password. You say that like it's a bad thing. Well, well, I, mean, I couldn't what? get anything then. I was so ticked with him. <laughs> but I did get the honeydew list done. Yes, you started working on that. You did. That's right. Yeah, but it only took you 38 years to get yeah. to it. But no, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. true. Yeah, that's right. 
now kind of the culmination now of this whole story is you knew it was going to be big and now it starts becoming real that narcos is going to become real how how is it how is it you know what are you thinking what are you doing with steve as you guys are discussing the opportunities here it's like first of all he turns down two other producers and says now nah, we're not going to do it so it's got to be like ah oh, are you crazy right. you know right, steve right. but but then eric newman comes along and makes the right pitch mm -hmm. and it's like this thing now starts becoming mm -hmm. real What's that like knowing that you're part of your life, which it took us six months to get you on mm -hmm. this podcast. So I, I can't imagine what it was like, mm -hmm. you know, working then with the uh, people writing the script to say, hey, mm -hmm. um, how are you portraying it? And what are you doing to my cat? Well, I really didn't want to be a part of it like this. I don't really want to be a part of it because it isn't that I'm introverted. It's that I'm more private than he is. And he's a different person now than when he was working for DEA. He may not believe this, but he was more of an introvert then, I thought. And it's maybe, it's probably because he had to be. He couldn't discuss what he was preoccupied with so much, you know, five days a week. Well, it was never five days with him, but, um, and I was the one that was more extroverted talking to you know, other parents and neighbors, and he didn't know our neighbors, you know, he didn't know as many as I did or anything, and that was okay with him because he was preoccupied, preoccupied with work. So once he retired, he became this other person. So now he's so extroverted, he can, you know, he can have a good conversation. He's the mayor of the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah, and we go to church, and the girls are like, where's dad? I'm like, uh, he's campaign. I call him campaigning. He's running for office because he's... You know, he's down talking to everybody, and I go into church and sit down like you're supposed to. So I don't really have to. We're a friendly guy here. <laughs> I don't really have to. I don't have to say much now. He says it all. However, though, he certainly can't talk for a couple of the things that you went through because I'm very interested in. There were a couple of things with the script to where it appears that you kind of had some veto authority over, but tell us about the person that you wanted to play you, did you get the person you wanted to play you? And did you get any say so? Oh, I didn't have any, I didn't have any choice in that matter. Um, they told me who would play my part and she came to Ashburn and you spent some time with me and we went on some walks through the, you know, they, they have the lovely trails there through the neighborhood. Um, and she wanted to learn about me and my lovely ac mixed accent. And um, she was British, of all things, and did a great job. So what does an actress do? What does an actress or actor do like that to get inside your head? I mean, was it just general conversation or was she employing some methods? You know, or what do these folks do when they're trying to learn about their characters? Um I think she was interested in my view about all of it and where I stood on all of it during this all going on. She, um, we got her audition tape or her, her audition uh, clip, and it was right on uh, the way they portrayed us in um, Narcos. Although it wasn't the same place, it was right on as far as how she reacted to to him, to his, uh, you know, flirtatious attitude. My what? what, what wait My a minute. What? Flirtatious? I thought that was JP. No, <clears throat> no the, in Narcos, uh, you know, he's supposed to be, you know, Mr. Cool Hand Luke. 
And I like, just like real life. Yeah, I was like, whatever, which is the way it was. She nailed that part of it, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. Whatever. I can already see the eye rolls too on Narcos. Guys, I just watched Narcos season one and two. So, um, but you got to go down to Columbia, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. You got to go back. What's it like going back now, not on government business, but on, and unbeknownst to you, you knew Pablo was going to be big, but did you have a feeling how big it was going to be on Netflix no. when you were a part oh, of this? No, no, not at all. Not at all. When, when we went down there, it was, you know, I was really interested in how the whole thing was produced. So we got to see that firsthand. It was very cool, very interesting. And um, um, met the actors the other actors, you know, got to see their uh, dressing rooms and our names on there was very cool. Um, and then the girls, our girls, you know, got a part in the last episode of Narcos or the last, yeah, the first five minutes of the last episode, they portrayed them walking down the street as, you know, just Colombian pedestrians, which was really cool. Steve, you never said that. I forgot. I forgot. Wait a minute, your kids are in Narcos and you forgot? What kind of a father are you? Well, you know, well, the thing was, after they had that part, they'd come up to you and go, hey, Dad, I'm in the Narcos show. Are you? Little smart Alex. <laughs> Children. So, uh, yeah, in the scene where Stephen's supposed to get uh, kidnapped, which he wasn't, and he's pulling into the underground parking um, Boyd Holbrook, who plays his part, told the girls, you know, they had them dressed as Colombians and told them, you know, be sure and stop and wait for me or I'll wait for you to cross. That way they'll not cut, cut it out. When they edit, they'll not cut you out. And he did that time and time again. He waited for the girls to cross. So if you look if you look at Narcos, the, it's about five minutes into the first to the last, very last episode of season two. Season one. Season one. That's yep. the, that's their girls. Oh, that is so cool. And so cool of Boyd to make sure knowing yeah. the, one of the Hollywood tricks is that, hey, you're not going to get cut out yeah. of it if we do it yeah, this well, way. Yeah, well, Boyd and, and uh, Pedro both came to the house as well. So they got to meet the girls and we had, you know, had a really good time. Um, so come on, who do you think was better looking? JP says it was him. Was was JP better looking or was Pedro? Oh, Pedro's hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's something else I didn't tell you, Morgan, is is I've got a picture of my wife laying in bed with Pedro Pascal. I've got a photograph of that. Shocking. Shocking revelation for Ashburn. <laughs> yeah. the, oh, my God. The National Enquirer. <laughs> well, that's actually when they were trying to calm the baby down before they were going to shoot another scene, and we were just... We were just talking. Pedro is a, a great conversationalist. I, I really like him. He's a very likable guy. And actually, one of the funny things to tell about Pedro is um, he and when we had the girls there and he and I were talking and they were waiting, to sh they were preparing him to go on set and they were wiring, you know, putting the wires up through his pants wherever they wanted them up behind him and uh, for sound. And he, our girls were sitting on a bench there, just, we were waiting because we were going to watch this scene uh, act out. And uh, Pedro and I had eye contact. We were just there talking. Well, I'm a nurse. It doesn't shock me if you drop your pants, as long as you have underwear on this. So he 
pulls his pants down for them to feed, you know, feed the wires up. And I looked over at my girls, and I, I thought they were going to fall off that bench. Their eyes were as big as saucers. <laughs> it was so funny. Pedro Pascal standing there with his pants down. <laughs> no, well, now, did, wait a minute. Did Pedro have underwear yes. on? Yes. <laughs> uh, well, thank God for small favors. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> But there was something more, though, a little bit more magical, though, about being down there. You got to do something pretty cool when you went down to Bogota um, for Narcos. You got to do something that involved one of your yes. daughters. Monica, her entire life, wanted to meet her biological mother. Um, <clears throat> Mandy is the complete opposite, has absolutely no desire to do that. But um, so when we adopted Monica, the uh, director of the um, office we ran left the room and I had a napkin and I wrote, uh, the name, Monica's biological mother's name down. I wrote, you know, anything that I could off of those papers and kept that. Well, <clears throat> so we had her name and she was a doc. Was that done intentionally? Was that a wink, wink? I'm going to, I'm going to step out of the room for a minute and what you do while I'm gone. I don't know about. We thought so, but who knows? Anyway, I had that. I kept that. Um, and um, when Monica, we found out we were going to go back down, I, it was in her baby book, that that napkin. Uh, so I took it with me. And uh, when we got there, we went. She came from a little country town called Zipakida, which is north of Bogota, a little country town. <clears throat> and uh, so we went back there. And Monica, on her own behalf now, she's in her 20s. She, uh, they wanted to know what was her interest in this. And, you know, she just told them she wanted to meet her. That's all. So they said, well, we'll have to check our records. Well, of course, they were going to check everything out. Um, and being Columbia, they still have their records and hard copies stored there on site. So... Um, they took down her date of birth and the mother's name and... And I, we hadn't changed her name either. So they went through their records and, you know, they saw that we were legitimate. And um, and they called us just several hours later and said, if you want to come back here, you know, she's coming here. So not only did she get to meet her biological mother, but there were also three biological sisters that came. Um all of her siblings did not come, but three out of six came. So that was pretty cool. When you looked at the mother and the three siblings, if Monica had not been adopted, it would have been, what, a pretty hard oh, life? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you could tell that they've had a hard life. Actually, uh, the mother worked um, in the rose fields. You know, roses is a big export from Colombia, and um, she was very weathered. Uh, from from doing that sort of work. And, um, oh, yeah, Monica was, we were so proud of her. She just so proud. She had such poise, and she was just like, as if to say, look at me. I, You know, I'm okay. I'm okay. I did fine. What an opportunity she got, yeah. right? Because would she, would, would she have been the youngest of the siblings then? No, there was one that was young, uh, two that was younger than her. One came. Uh, one was younger, and actually the mother named her Monica Alexander as well because she okay. thought she'd never see Monica again. I, I don't know what it takes to do something like that, mm -hmm. but, I mean, that's for a mother. Um, 
but obviously it must have been good for this mother to know that her mm -hmm. daughter, uh, she made the right decision for her mm -hmm. daughter. I think it's very odd that a family goes back. And so they were very happy that we did. And the, the people there were, yeah, they were very accommodating and, uh, and very positive about that. See, we've gone from having to drag answers out of you to we're almost got, I can't shut you up uh, now. Yeah, I well, mean, you I are know. just... <laughs> Welcome to my world. There you go. Now you know. Oh, oh Steve, it's not going to be a fun night if you keep this up. You still got, you got to stay with her. You know? <laughs> I'm, I guess that's why you have spare bedrooms. Though, I'm right? still the best thing that ever happened to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. what I tell my wife every night. You're one lucky mm -hmm. lady. And of course, she rolls her eyes mm -hmm. just like Connie does. Mm -hmm. Hey, well, let's let's close up by this. I mean, we have been on this a little over two hours, and just the detail, the fact, I mean, we could do a lot more stuff, but um, put it all in perspective now, looking back, um, you know, when you look back on it, did you ever think your life would end up like this? Where you've at, the things you've done, the experiences you've had, um, being a little, little farm girl from a community <laughs> of Princeton, going to Bluefield State College, mm -hmm. meeting an arrogant, you know, overbearing probably a little bit, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, full of himself, you know, city cop in Bluefield, mm -hmm. or as I say, Krusty Krab, West Virginia, you know. <laughs> hey, have you ever been there? I got close one time when we went down as Notre Dame beat Virginia mm -hmm. Tech. I was pretty close to Bluefield, oh. but uh, that's as close as oh, I've come. I'm a Hokie yeah. fan too. We are down at Blacksburg, mm -hmm. yeah. Not bad, right? No, I love, hey, look, I'm a farm boy at heart, came, grew up small mm -hmm. farming country and mm -hmm. love the area. But, you know, but looking back on it, did you ever imagine where you started at and where you ended up? Did you have any idea that the journey would look like this? No. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're young, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about that at all. I just, uh, we just kind of made our way through it. Um, I would have never thought that, of course. But um, I think kids now are expected to think ahead more than we were then. Um, you know, I was just brought up to to work a good life and, you know, be a good person. Um, I never gave it thought about where I would go. I just could of went with it, tried to make the best choices. Hey, well, you've got a lot of experience, you know, in this area. What, what kind of advice? It, this is a challenging time for anybody getting into law enforcement, whether it's federal, state, you know, local, um, what what advice do you have? And this is not just confined to women, but men or women. If you're going to be the spouse of somebody going into law enforcement, what are a couple of the key lessons you've learned that you would pass on to anybody who's looking at doing this? Well, I think you have to obviously you have to be a good listener, um, not only to listen but to have empathy. Um, empathy is something I found out that everyone doesn't have. Um, to um, you have to also counsel along the way. Um, and f for him, I always said that he came, he came, when he came home, you know, we had to ground him again. <laughs> um, you ain't that big and important, Murph. Just remember who you report <laughs> into. You where you're from. Oh, um, yeah. Which is, I don't like it when people say negative things about West Virginia. That's where we're from, West Virginia. There's good people in West Virginia. Um, just to remind him who he is. Um, and, uh, we're both Christians, so, um, a lot of prayer along the way, uh, prayer works, you know, and, um, when there's nothing else, that's what you rely on. 
it's one of those things where, you know, I'll come walking in and say we've been out to Hollywood to meet people or whatever, and she'll come in and she's like, hey, movie star, take the trash out, you know, and wash my car away out there. What are you doing? That's right. <laughs> Just bring you back down a couple notches there, mister. I want to be a star, you know, That's Steve it. Murphy. That's, right. you know? That's it. That's right. And just re- and just remember, Boyd Holbrook is the actor. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> and, and bring me something yeah. to drink while you're at it. Yeah, that's right. You know, and would you get Pedro Pascal to lay down in the bed next to me again? <laughs> I, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I got to relax here a little bit. I've got the photographic evidence of that event. <laughs> that we have to put on the web. All right. <laughs> so, hey, let me tell you something. For all the time and effort it took to get you on, Connie, I got to tell you, I mean, I learned so much too. I, Steve talks about you a lot, obviously. Says good things. Trust me. I record everything. So, uh, and so does the NSA. We have it all. But um, no, I mean, it is just so many things I've seen with other spouses, but you were one of those folks that went through one of the most unique times in history and one of the most unique cases in history that has persisted. And to live through that, to be a part of that, I mean, you're, you're a part of history, whether you wanted to be or not. And now you're memorialized. And I'm going to have to go back now and watch season one, episode 10, the first five minutes to see your kiddos in there, because that is just awesome. Well, you know, um, Morgan, I don't see myself as any different than any other law enforcement wife, whether it's a DEA wife, FBI wife, state trooper wife or whatever. And there's never enough credit given to those families. And it's not that they expect it. But they're there, you know, and they deserve but it. But they're owed right. it. Right. They're owed it. Yeah, it's it's just, is it tough to go out uh, and work a shift? You bet. You know, it's just as mm-hmm. tough wondering if your mm-hmm. spouse is going to make it home mm-hmm. that night. You know, and too many, too many of those things have happened. Well, hey, look, I can't tell you how fun this has been. This is going to be a great episode <laughs> to kick off our new year with. And Murph, you finally delivered on something out of all the things you have failed me on. <laughs> you finally got Connie. You've moved on me too, you traitorous bastard. Um, but because of her. I, I hope you, yeah, but I, you guys enjoy Florida. Enjoy this. This will be an epic, awesome episode. And with everybody stays tuned, Murph and I are going to have the unique position of doing the debrief on his own wife. There you go. Thank you. Thanks, kiddo. Well, you know, like a hemorrhoid, just when you thought it was gone, it flares back up again. (laughs) We're not done. And here we go from now. Somebody who it took, it was harder to get on this podcast than it was for Murph and JP to find Pablo. Now, by her, I want to, for the record, by her own request, she is coming back. We're actually going to add to this episode. We're not going to try and cut this in and, you know, do this fancy work. She came back. She said, no, look, there's some other things I want to talk about. So we're going to talk about those things. Why? Because happy wife, happy life. And if I don't do this for Murph, it's going to be a tough time down there in Orlando. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. So, (laughs) you know, I stood right up to her when she said she wanted to do this. And I said, yes, dear. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's right. 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 You you stood mm-hmm. right up. Yeah. Right. I just can't imagine <laughs> well, that people want to hear this stuff, you know, but there were things that we didn't have time to cover. So I wanted to include everything. Well, and I'm glad you're coming back. Let's so let's do that. So this is gonna be a special, this is an additional remember we did an embed um episode when we talked with Jeff Nice, and so we got um uh, Aaron, uh, Steve's buddy, Aaron, to come on, and we did a special embed episode. So on this one, this is actually going to be an additional episode rather than an embed, and we're just going to add on to it. This is our addendum, as they might say, our postscript 
to the uh, original episode. So Connie, there were some things and yeah, we were kind of def- deferring to because, you know, initially you didn't want to come on and we understood that. So I didn't know how much you wanted to cover, but now it's obvious. I mean, there's some things we probably could have gone deeper on and we've got a good outline here. You know, Murph uh, got with you and we covered those things. So let's kind of talk about that. Let's talk about one of the big things though, too. Somebody that's been a big part of your life, almost uh, not quite as long as you have with the uh, the big Murph man over there, but it's JP. Javier Pena. I mean, he has been kind of a constant in your life all the way from Bogota and, uh, you know, Colombia all the way up through now and through Narcos and through the speaking tour that everybody does. So um, my understanding from talking with Steve and our vast intelligence sources, you'd like to you like to mess with him a little bit. You like to organize his desk, didn't well, you? Well, uh, first of all, is is Javier going to hear this? Because... <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't, but Beverly might. Right. Well, you know, all the time that um, when Javier was in Medellin, we were in, or Stephen was in Bogota, and I worked there in the embassy as well, so I was waiting to ride home with him uh, rather than go on the State Department van, and um, Javier's desk was and uh, you you can't imagine how disorganized his desk was. He had piles of I, I didn't realize I used my hands so much uh, in talking. Now there was piles of papers. Every there was total disarray in his uh, in his desk. So I would you know stack everything neatly, organize it neatly. So he'd have a writing space which he didn't even have. His his computer screen had. Post-it stuck all over it, not around it, all over it. <clears throat> so I, you know, I organized those, put them like on top of each other. He had post-its all over his phone, post-its all over his desk, if you could find any any bare desk there. And, um, and then he had a plant that sat there. I think some girl bought him that plant, honestly, but uh, it was looked dead so many times. I brought it back to life over and over and over. Um, and when he would come back then, I wasn't as much in their actual office as I was down, up and down the hallway or whatever, but he was like, messing up to my desk. I'll leave my desk alone. You know, grumble, grumble, grumble. But I would usually have something to work on while I was waiting on Stephen to finish work because he was one of the last always in the office. And I didn't even have a place to, you know, to write. So um, that was, you know, and Javier, like I said before, he is so in, he was so intensely focused on his work. That's that was the relationship there. But when I worked for the um, CLO office, uh, we one of the things in and our, tell everybody what CLO is again. <clears throat> Community liaison officer. Um, so we were like overlooking all the activities and welcoming newcomers and that, that sort of thing. Um, and we had lots of resources in there, uh, for the Americans to come in and look for, and look for, you know, we kept like the adoption agency information or places to, um, uh, you know, ex- for excursions. But anyway, um, there was a sign up sheet for the tennis courts in our office. And those tennis courts were at the ambassador's residence. Um, 
and you had to sign up for your court time. And so I'd sign him up for his court time. I signed Joe Toft up for his court time. You know, I... Well, did he even play tennis or were you just forcing him to play oh, no, tennis? He, he played tennis then a lot. He was very competitive, I, I've heard. I haven't seen him play. Um, I knew he liked his Lipton's um, instant tea or was that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would bring those back from the States when we, when I went. Stephen didn't always go. Um, but anyway, that was our relationship there. Since Columbia and since I've met his better half, uh, <laughs> and now that all of that, I guess, uh, stress from the job has been peeled off, he's nothing more than but a big teddy bear. Does he actually talk to you without... Without yeah, grumbling now? he talks now? to me in sentence form. you got to remember. JP, we're proud of you. She was yeah. a nurse, you know, so she was bringing those plants back to life. It's just ingrained in her. She couldn't help herself. Oh, every time he was gone, those plants looked dead again. And I'd, you know, go in there and pilfer around. I need H2O, stat, for an, uh, for an IV <laughs> into the uh, subcutaneous <laughs> they look Oh, terrible. You know, and I got to insert it. Left hand acute. I got to insert this here. When when he would come back from Medellin and his desk was straight, he's like, God damn it, I can't find shit around here. Leave my shit alone. <laughs> it's hilarious. I don't know how he found anything. Yeah, but would he ever tell Connie that or would he just tell you oh, that? Oh, no, Murph? he would never say anything mean to Connie. No, no he, he never said anything. He, he was had nice the utmost to me. respect I mean, for it's her. cordial, like, mm, hi, you're there, kind of, and you're still here. But, yeah, yeah, but how was he when you brought him his Lipton tea, though? I mean, that was kind of what was that kind of like his uh, next to Arguar Diente? He loved the Lipton oh, tea. Oh yeah, huh? yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That perked him up a little bit. You know, I'd get something positive <laughs> out of that, or if I made cookies and brought him in, he loved chocolate. Um, but you know, like I said, now that I've met his better half, and she's one of the sweetest people I've ever known. You know, you meet people that are. You meet people that are sweet, and you know that it's insincere, and I have no use for those kind of people, but you meet people, and it's deep in them. They're that sweet. It just drips off of them, and that's the kind of person he's with. So who would have known, right? She is. She, Beverly's the sweetest lady you've ever met in your life. And and just to add a little bit about the tennis thing, you know, the employees in the embassy would have to line up outside the CLO office on Monday mornings mm -hmm. to sign up. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, Joe had, Joe Toff was our country out of Shea. He had specific time and day of the week he wanted to play mm -hmm. and was never in line. And Javier was never in line. And people would go in to sign up on those times. Like, how did those guys get those reservations? They're not even in line here. So, you know, they had an inside hook. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but, but so that was kind of, was that like his, uh, I mean, obviously you guys needed a, we're, we're going to get into that here in a minute too, because it was very important to have outlets for stress because, mm -hmm. The op tempo that you guys were moving at, you know, and Connie, you even had to see this too. I mean, you were, you would have had some of this same stress too, because it's early mornings, it's late nights. It's like, there is just no standard banker hours, nine to five workday while you're down in uh, Columbia, is no, there? No, we, but you know, they, they played hard and they worked hard. Um, but when there was time on weekends, we would have uh, sports, like I said, I've always been an athlete. Stephen knows so, not so much, but he, he can play softball and <laughs> football. Oh, he can get hit in the face with the softball like the best of them, yeah. Gee, thanks, honey. <laughs> no, we we had softball games 
a DEA against state or, you know, flag football. They would just, you know, a bunch of guys show up and choose teams. Um, I don't remember basketball so much. We had volleyball. Uh, one of the high schools there, we were the liaison between the embassy, embassy kids that went to these, um, this, uh, it was a private school, big school. Um, embassy kids meaning the mill group, the military the military families went by a whole different set of rules and lived away from us and worked away from us. But those are still our American kids. So um, that school allowed us to use their uh, gym for volleyball games. And um, on the weekends, Bogota is an awesome city for closing down some of their main arteries on the weekends. And it's like family day. So, uh all families are out with their with their dogs, um, you know, kids on tricycles, bicycles. We even bought bikes there, and we would ride for miles on the inner um, streets of Colombia, of Bogota. And on the streets were uh, vendors with uh, fresh grilled corn, fresh fruit. You know, Colombia is, is just rich in, in fruit, um, and you could just get it. You know, the mangoes as they cut them up there, uh, pineapples, fresh pineapples that they cut right in front of you. And um, that was just an awesome day. I would go on my bike on Sundays when he wasn't there. And you'd always see some other embassy people riding as well. Um, but it, that's a that was a great thing on, on Sundays. Um, and then we... Any concerns for your... I mean, were there any security incidents or things that made you pause uh, for your sake, you know, concern for your safety? Because again, you're in Bogota. It is not exactly the safest place in the world at this point. And, you know, Pablo's killing people and blowing stuff up. Mm -hmm. So how did you balance that with the fact is, you know, you're a target because you're an American? Well, as long as I kept my mouth shut, <laughs> I fit in well because... What, you had an accent? <laughs> people would have detected that? <laughs> I didn't know very much Spanish. Um, like I said, I can talk with my hands, but Stephen with his blue eyes, he would usually keep sunglasses on when we were out. Um, but you know, I have dark eyes, dark hair. Um, I was always darker. Um, I was a sun lover, darker when I was younger than I am now. And, um, I, I fit in very well, especially when I was by myself, I felt like I did. I did everything that I could to look like a Colombian. You know, I tried to dress more like them. Um, I just did everything that I could to fit in. Um, and the only time we were ever challenged was when we we were going out of the city, uh, a, a bunch of Americans. We must have had four or five carloads, and we were stopped on, the, on one of the mountainous highways. And we didn't know you know, who, who it was that was actually doing the road stop. And I, Stephen might know, uh, I can't remember how we got through that one, but the, some agent was a good talker and talked us through that stop. Other than that, um, like I said before, you knew in the United States, if you go to an inner city area or even here in Orlando, I, you know, you know where the higher crime areas are. You don't go there. In Bogota, that crime area was everywhere. So you had to be aware of where you were, who was around you all the time. That's the only way I can, you know, I can describe it. 
same thing with anything else. Just have to be aware of your surroundings. Exactly. Just got to make sure you you blend right. in and, um, you know. Steve, it's not that you would have stand out anyway, even with sunglasses on. You, you don't tan well. Mm-hmm. I'm taller than everybody in Columbia, just about. <laughs> six two, you know. It's yeah. Especially we determined that, and you know, in the the first part of the episode when uh, Connie was going to get out and whip up on those scrawny little military <laughs> That's guys. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and going back to fitting in, you know, I I didn't carry a purse with me. Um, stuck whatever pesos I had in my pockets. Um, I didn't wear jewelry. I left all my jewelry, you know, locked up back in the States. I don't even think I took it to Columbia. Um, But, you know, it's just like if you were, if I was a social worker and I was going down to a high crime area here to work, you don't go at night, you know, and that's, you just learn to do those, those measures. You just always do it. But you, but you did have some fun though. There was a couple of times you guys had long weekends and Melgar and, um, you know, some other places. Cause I mean, there's, there, you know, Columbia goes from sea level. I mean, you go right from the water, you go up way into the mountains. I think like Steve, I think your notes show like 8,500 feet above sea level. So you guys got the full range of stuff. What was it, what was it like seeing that country, um, you know, and being out there on those weekends and just experiencing, oh, you know, cause Columbia yeah. is a beautiful country. <clears throat> going to Melgar was beautiful. Uh, you know, it just going to tropical a tropical place, you know, and you come down out of the mountains to that. And we would uh, we would go with some other couples and rent a house there. They had a hook with uh, someone that, you know, you'd have to do that to know you're dealing with someone that's not corrupt or setting you up. Um, but um, they had a, you know, nice pool and it was just, it would just be a great weekend for all of us. And just so you know, Morgan, those little igloo coolers, if you put cans of beer and ice in them, they will float in a swimming pool. Yeah. There might have been several floating around. <laughs> this pool had this pool had a um, slide and I mean it just had everything. It was it was a great time. So you know, we did that. We went on some train excursions through the country. Um, we did those kind of things in groups rather than just the two of us. Yeah, was that was that because that was a requirement from the embassy, or was that just you guys using your own common sense? Probably from the embassy, they would say don't go at all. But that was us using our common sense, you know, that we would go in groups. Yeah, because uh, you mentioned something funny too. Well, not funny, but it was interesting. Um, when I grew up, my dad was military. We lived in Iran, so we were there during the days of the Shah, and the military did have different rules than the other folks. What was your experience, though, you know, when you saw the military families and the military groups? Did, was, it, was there any kind of like a friction or a rivalry because they do things differently? Or did you guys get along fine? Did you guys interact much, you know, with the other components, you know, of the United States? Well, we got along fine with uh, the military families. We didn't see the military families much at all. We knew their names. We had more friction with the agencies in the embassy. Uh, the things, the bennies that we had, they didn't have. Um, because they were very restricted by their, um, RSO there. And uh, they would probably send them back if they didn't go by, you know, their rules. But, you know, we were a different agency and, um, DEA stood up for us very well. Right. And for, for the ones wondering what RSO is, that's regional security officer. So they kind of, they're in charge of, 
the RSO, you come in there, they're in charge of setting your weekend safety briefs. Here's your rules you're going to follow. What, what kind of, um, did you guys get chewed out by the RSOs sometimes because you guys went out and did stuff that you weren't supposed to? Or did, did you just not, because Murph and, uh, you know, JP didn't care, you guys just kind of brushed it off? I mean, any any run-ins with the RSO and the security oh, folks? Oh, yeah, but not us personally. They would usually go to, you know, Jerry Reinhardt or Joe Toft and, um, I think they patronized them more than anything, you know, like, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. You're right. We're wrong, but it didn't change anything. It didn't trickle down to us, except they would tell us to be a little more discreet about it. So are you saying that more, you know, basically DEA compared to the other ones, you guys were more of a cowboy there, Murph, <laughs> were you guys more of a cowboy organization? No, we just, you know, it's like I said before, we viewed those as suggestions and uh, we use common sense and we did what the hell we wanted to do. <laughs> You know, one of the rules was you weren't supposed to have more than three Americans in a restaurant. And on Friday nights, if we were in town, we'd all go to Mr. Ribs. We might have 25, 30 people in there. And eventually, we even had some of the RSOs guys joining us in there. So it was uh, suggestions. And I would and I would say most of you in that place were probably armed, right? Oh, yeah. You know, but the, the big concern was that uh, a terrorist or Sicario or whoever might come by and just throw right. some grenades in the door and then keep going. Uh, and kill whoever's yep. in there. So uh, I mean, it was for the right reasons. We do know one of the episodes, there was a shooting one time, right, with uh, JP. Was it Was it at Mr. Ribs? Was that that one where there were some shots fired and he had to drag a couple CIA guys to safety? No, that was up in Medellin. That was up in Medellin. Where, yeah, Medellin? Yeah, that was the okay. friendly fire sh- uh, incident. That was bad. <laughs> Getting back to the um, military, the mill group, we called them, there was one... Um, wife. I think he was mill group, wasn't he? Pat that I ran around with on my days off or maybe even before I started working full time. um, uh, There was a military wife in one of the other buildings in our complex. And I don't even remember how I met her, but she and I hit it off. And it was refreshing to go out with her. She had... uh, I guess through recommendation, her own, like, cab driver that she could call when she wanted to go somewhere. She trusted him. And when she wanted to go out for the day shopping or whatever, she'd just call him, and he would just take her from one place to the other to the other. And they didn't go by any of the embassy rules at all. She attended one of the churches there. You know, I, I went with her sometimes, and, and it was it was great getting away from the same people which is one of the reasons that he and I would go on trips together sometimes just to get away from your, you know, you're with those same people a lot on the weekends at work. And sometimes you just need to get away the two of you or just have a weekend at home without, um, you know, going to all the activities that, you know, the DEA crowd was very constantly on the go. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Leticia. You guys uh, had a couple, you had a long weekend down there. That's uh, I have not been there, but apparently that is a very beautiful area on the Amazon where Colombia, Brazil, Peru, all come together. Uh, so, you know, t- talk about that area down there because again, it's one of those things you get to see things that you'll never see back here in the United States, and it's you know it's kind of a once in a lifetime thing. So, what you know, let's talk about Leticia for a little thing because apparently you had a you guys there was the jungle and the rainforest involved, and you know. Makes it makes it sound like a, a Disney movie. Oh, it was that was a once of a lifetime trip. We uh, this the two of us went. 
uh, which we I'm sure we weren't supposed to do that. But um, we went down to Leticia. That's where the Amazon River flows through, where Colombia, Brazil, Peru all meet there in that little area. And we stayed in a hotel, which Stephen says is the nicest hotel there. I have no clue. But there was, you know, there was no air conditioning. There was no hot water. I think, there were, again, it was open above the door like the first place we stayed when we got to Columbia. Um, we went out on the Amazon River in canoes with some of the locals that had their little, I guess you'd call tours, but <clears throat> it was no more than a canoe. Um, and we, we, the crazy thing to me is that we swam in the Amazon River with the dolphins. There's piranha in the Amazon River. I knew that. We even learned that. I'm like, what are, what is our butt doing in the water? And then there was those little, well, I won't talk about that. Those little. Um, Go ahead. Talk about it. Those little, uh, they're like little, uh, oh, I don't know. Parasites. Uh, parasites. Parasites. Those little spermy parasites. parasites and they swim that, up certain orifices. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They were, so those were there. <laughs> I mean, that was not my problem as much as his, but. There was a crazy thing we did. Well, the craziest thing we did was he's completely terrified of snakes. And we put, they gave us these like waders and we, we waded through the swamps in the Amazon. Now that's crazy. We came up on a primitive tribe that was roasting an alligator. So we tried some of their alligator. Um, we saw... Does it? So, can you answer the real question? Does alligator taste like yeah, chicken? Yeah, it does. It's a little more chewy. <laughs> it's a little more chewy. Speaking speaking of that too, you may be roasting another alligator if Big Al gets any closer to the property, right? The one in the backyard yesterday was huge. Yeah, but uh, at the they called it a zoo. Well, we call it a zoo by our standards. I don't know what you'd call it. It was just native people with some native. Um, reptiles or whatever to show you, wildlife to show you. And these men, well, there was a picture there on their um, a little restaurant we ate at. It wasn't, it wasn't a restaurant like here. I, I can't describe how simple these places are. But anyway, <clears throat> um, they, there was a picture there of an anaconda that had eaten a child. And the Ooh. exterior form of the snake was the perfect form of a person. And in at this little so-called zoo, um, they had several anaconda there. And they were as big around as my body. And it took four or five men to pick it up about four feet from each other to hold this snake up. It was just, I've never seen anything like it. Well, they've got those movies you'll see National Geographic where an anaconda and, and, anaconda and an alligator will wrestle, you know, or, you know, they, they'll take off. Those are just, once they get a hold of you, yeah, that's, there's, mm-hmm. there's, you're, you're yeah. done. We, we ask them, well, why, why are you holding this snake you know can eat you? And they're like, well, we know he's not hungry today. <laughs> that makes you feel better, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, that's where you go with people and the one you don't like, you say, hey, why don't you go check the anaconda first, see if he's hungry. Well, Connie kept trying yeah. to get me in the picture. Uh, I don't know right. what she was sending me a message there or what. Well, but I do have to ask you, though, because, you know, 
back in our time, there were these TV shows, there were one and ones, and one of them's called Gilligan's Island. You know, you're stranded on an island on a three-hour tour. Mm-hmm. You guys got stranded <laughs> overnight on the Amazon River. You did your own version of Gilligan's Island. Right, we did. It was my idea to go on this trip on the Amazon River at night because they they called it an alligator hunt only because they sh- would shine a light, a spotlight, and alligators' eyes will shine red in the water at night. So we get in this. It was no more than a canoe to me either, but there must have been 12 tourists on there. We were the only Americans on there. I remember there was a Canadian couple on there. But anyway, uh, yeah, they took us out in the middle of the river. It's in the middle of the night on this little canoe. I think he had a single motor, right? Yeah, he had a single motor on there. And they do that. And, oh, my God, we were surrounded by alligators. I can't tell you how many alligators were out there. And they would reach in the water and pull out a small one so you could see it, you know, touch it. Stephen held it. but And, um... I said it make you weird. Yeah, it's weird. But anyway, so then the fog came in. Well, our driver didn't know which way back, how to get back to where we came from. Now, you have to remember, you know, cargo ships come down the Amazon River. It's a huge river. It's so big, we couldn't see from one one side to the other. That's how big it was. It was like we were in the ocean. And so we're like, okay, well, they handed out these um, ponchos for us to put on. And Stephen and I decided it had a hood on it. We decided that we would keep watch in case somebody's going to knock us in the head and throw us overboard. And you know, rob us or whatever. Not that we could do anything. That was stupid, wasn't it? But anyway, we we did that. He would take a snooze and I'd keep a watch and vice versa. So yeah, we spent the night out there. Uh, One guy had to go to the bathroom and he, the only thing did, he he decided, why did he jump out of the the boat to do that? Because most men were just, you know, peeing right off the side of the boat. He was trying to be modest. But he was also drunk. Oh, with the ponchos, we could hear, you could feel the mosquitoes hitting that poncho. They were so big. Just, you know, pow. I mean, you could feel them. You could hear them. They were, that's how big they were. I had on jeans and socks and sneakers. He had on jeans and Sperry's, so he didn't have any socks on. And and the next morning, his ankles had just been eaten up by mosquitoes. But, um... So finally the fog, well, the one guy jumped over and why did he jump over? Did you say? He went to, he went to go pee. He was being modest. Oh, that wasn't, well, anyway, he could have got one of those little things. But anyway, we, uh, he jumped in and he sunk up to like his waist in sand. And so the other guys had to pull him back into the boat. But then the the fog eventually lifted, and we saw where we were. He he knew the way back then. So, but nobody knew where we were. That was just that was probably one thing we shouldn't have done. But oh well, you know we did it. We we enjoyed it. It's a nice story now. Hey, life's life's an adventure. Life's an adventure. Well, for frame of reference, I did a quick search, and the name of that parasite is called the Candiru. Sometimes known as the penis penis fish, is a small Amazonian catfish. It's reported to lodge itself in the urethra, urethra of people who may be urinating in the water. Exactly. 
Yep. <laughs> so I did not pee in the Amazon River. I'll guarantee you that. Well, yes, you did. You just didn't. You weren't in the Amazon River when you peed, but you did pee into the Amazon River. Let's establish that. Yes. <laughs> but let I want to add that in in Leticia, um, these um, locals would bring in their their fish catch for the day, and. It was something like four or five o'clock in the evening, I guess, that they would throw all these fish up on the on the shore. And, I mean, you've got a hundred fish flopping around. And the other people would come down to buy their fish that, you know, for their, that was their dinner. And that was, I've never seen anything like that. It was so cool. Well, but you also went to a couple other cool places. You also went to places like Panama, you know, Costa Rica, uh, you know, San Andreas. So um, kind of tell us about that. So, but when you went to Panama, Steve, maybe you can answer that. When you were in Panama, was Noriega in charge at that point? No, he had already been uh, taken to the United States. But the the reason we went to Panama, the DEA country had a shade there. His wife was a DEA agent in Bogota with us. And so we were all good friends. And uh, he kept inviting us to come to Panama City. And so one weekend... Several of the couple of us, we all got together and we flew to Panama, spent a long, I think it was an Easter weekend, wasn't it, Connie? Uh, it was a long weekend. Yeah, but Noriega was already in, uh, he was already in He's already custody. Jail. Yeah, that was after they blasted the music, you know, had him surrounded and he finally surrendered. Uh, but uh, during those times, though, when you guys had those long weekends, uh, Murph, did you ever get pulled away? To, I mean, did they have a way of contacting you? Like if something hit the fan that they need to pull you out, did you ever have to cut one of your weekends short because of, uh, something breaking, uh, you know, in the, in the investigation? Not any of those weekends. Uh, if you were in town, you did, but, uh, we kind of had it worked out so that Javier and I were not allowed to leave Columbia at the same time. One of us always had to be there. And so I would just let JP know where I was going. Cause he, he wouldn't go on these trips with us. And, uh, so he'd cover whatever came up, and then, you know, when he would go, which was rare, he'd go anywhere. I mean, he I don't think he went back to the United States for like two or three years, um, not even at Christmas time. In fact, he would work all through Christmas so that Connie and I could travel back to the States with our families. So I never got called off on one of those, but like down in Leticia, they couldn't contact us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no no like, cell phones, no nothing back then. It, you really were. It was Gilligan's Island on the Amazon, man. I'm not even sure they had phones in that little whole town of Leticia. Yeah. So, uh, but but what'd you think of Panama, though, Connie? First time down there. Well, oh, Panama was. I love Panama. I wanted. To, I wanted us to do a tour there, but he wouldn't hear of it. I don't know why, but I like Panama, and the Panama Canal is something to be seen. I mean, again, that's probably one of the most interesting places that I've ever gone. Uh, we went with some other couples, um, and we rented a boat and went around, you know, around different islands around Panama. Same thing with Costa Rica. We, we had friends in Costa Rica that we met when he was in language school in, in Washington. So we visited them and, and they drove us around, showed us all around. I loved Costa Rica too. And then the only other, uh, we went to, uh, also with the same group of, of people, we went to Cartagena and, um, there we enjoyed their beautiful beaches and, you know, got to learn about the history of, uh, Cartagena with their forts and, and all of that. But, um, yeah, you know, there, we did some things that were, were fun and definitely memorable. What about, uh, San Andreas? One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, uh, they were kind of known for their black market trade, you know, a lot of things going on there. Did you, uh, happen to acquire uh, any items that, uh, were the result of a uh, black market trade? 
like we. <laughs> Don't worry, the statute of limitations has long since passed. He and I went to uh, San Andres, just the two of us. Um, it's a Colombian-owned island, and um, uh, there, that was almost like going back in time to a tropical Caribbean island. Um, open air uh, airport, you know, people had. Well, they were just carrying all kinds of things back. Um, glass goods is what I remember there. We bought this huge alligator skull head there. And, uh, I mean, he was so big. He's probably His head was probably the size of one of the largest suitcases in a set, like that big. Um, but the only people they allowed to take out of, uh, take that out of, uh, off the island was teachers for educational purposes. So Stephen told them I was a teacher, and so we brought that back with us. I just <laughs> handed that down. <laughs> well, she told him that, plus we slipped a guy 20,000 pesos. Oh, well. Well, that sounds like a lot, except it was like $2, right? <laughs> yes, it was. three fifty. I think. <laughs> You can't believe the things those people were bringing back at that airport. Though I've never seen anything like it. Um, and I just handed that down to my niece, who is a biology major and teaches. Um, but I thought it was a great conversational piece, and I would, you know, I thought maybe we would have it enclosed in a glass coffee table or something at some point. It just never happened. <laughs> He still had his teeth when I gave it away. I would see that as a as an ornament hanging on the Christmas tree. You know, <laughs> look at this. We might do that with Big Al in the backyard. He here. was huge, heavy. Yeah. Hey, well, let me ask you, Connie. Out of all the places, if if you if you could, if it came down to the fact that you could only take one more trip and go to one place, that was it. You couldn't travel anymore after that. Out of all the places you've been, where would you go? Oh my gosh. Uh. Um. I'd probably just go back to Bogota. I like it there. Why? Well, I don't know. I I liked it more when we lived there than when we revisited. When we revisited, it was all transformed into this beautiful metropolitan area. But when we were there the first time, it was just such a simple way of life, you know. Um, and I know why a lot of Hispanic people are like manana, manana. You know, you never got anything on time. You never, they're never in a hurry to do anything. But that's so opposite of our life now. And I, Bogota was at such high elevation. You know, the restaurants had the doors open. All the eating was out on the street side. And your, our condo windows were open. We had to worry about bugs. There were no. We were never worried about bugs there. We rarely saw bugs there. Unless they came from the CIA, right, Murph? <laughs> Absolutely. I like the simplicity of it, I guess. Yeah. I like the simplicity of it. I mean, I loved South America and that area. Yeah, first time I visited was in 2000. And it, like your point, it kind of started becoming metropolitan, you know, right about then, but still. But but when you go, but when you walk through the downtown areas and you see the historical things, and um, like I said, I got my daughter, Ruana, first time, you know, little farm boy from Kansas, first time I actually ever bought real coffee that didn't come out of a can, mm -hmm. Folgers and stuff. So yeah. first time we ever brought that back and ground it, it was like, Oh my God! You know we got to get we got to get mm -hmm. more of this stuff. In fact, good, mm -hmm. real good quick stuff. story. 
Um, you guys, you guys moved from here, but do you remember the, uh, the, uh, the, um, can't name of the, it's the Mexican cafe over here in Goose Creek village, um, was next to, uh, Burger Shack, but they had that. Yeah, Perondos. Yeah, Perondos. Yeah. Ran into a kid there who was from Colombia, was going to Colombia. And I said, I'll tell you what, I will pay you. You bring me back two to three bags of coffee. He did. <laughs> he came back a couple months later. We go in to eat and he goes, hey, I got something for you. Now, that was the most expensive coffee I bought, but it was worth it because it was just like, oh, my God, that stuff was so good. It's the real thing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's funny, Morgan, because Sherry Foster was one of the DEA supervisors in Cartagena with DEA. And she was my coffee connection. She'd ship me up a case of uh, uh, oh. Sayo Dorado or uh, what was the uh, some, oh, something Oro. I mean, good stuff, good coffee. Oh, I know. And it, what comes out of the mountains there, you know, the soil they grow it in. Um, unfortunately, too, this, the soil in those places, too, also allow you to grow coca plants. and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little conducive to that. Yeah, Maybe some, some uh, poppy plants. Well, hey, Connie, let's kind of bring it full circle now, too, because um, you do all of these things. And like you said, you had no idea that anybody would. First of all, you're, you're humble. Um, you say nobody's interested in this. The same way nobody was interested in making a story about Pablo Escobar that went to actually spawn six, uh, two separate shows, including Narcos Mexico. But six seasons of this, it's the, I think, Steve, you were saying, too, it's the fourth most popular series on Netflix in history, Correct. right? So. So let's talk a little bit about Narcos, because that, I mean, obviously, not that it changed your life, but this is kind of the culmination. This is the thing. People are now making a story about you and Steve and JP and the things that were going on down there. So um, let's talk a little bit about the series, because we've determined already. Um, it's basically the one-third, one-third, one-third rule, which is a third of it is spot on. It's true. A third of it is, it's it's mushy. They kind of have to fudge some things. And then a third of it is just pure Hollywood BS, right? So let's, let's set the records straight about some of the things in Narcos, right? So one of the big ones, though, was um, in the series, though, um, it showed you going back and leaving Steve and going back to Miami. That ever happened? No, no. But I was never asked to go back either. Um, and I, you know, I had no, I, I had no thoughts of doing that. So no, that wasn't true. I stayed there the whole time. He wasn't with me. He was, of course, well, he was in traveling Medellin, and stuff. But, yeah, right. But I mean, but you never left yeah, the country and left him in the country uh, after after you adopted your first daughter. Um, but right. But I had a little insight though too, and it's not in the notes, but it's something I remember from our discussions. You kind of not that you had veto th authority over the script, but you had an issue with the script at one point about how they were portraying certain things, didn't you? Well, you mean uh, the only thing that I didn't like was the part where they cut out uh, our second adoption. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but we didn't adopt one daughter there. We adopted two daughters there, and Eric had promised me he would include the second adoption just because I didn't want both of them left out. I, you know, I didn't want one of them left out, and um, because we adopted Monica in October— and she was like seven, seven or eight months old. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we old. adopted Mandy the following May. So our girls are eight and a half months apart in age. They're both born in the same year. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, he just, it just simply, you know, slipped his mind, I guess. Um, but, you know, I didn't have any, any friends there like they portrayed 
in the movie, uh, the gorilla group, I, you know, I didn't have any friends like that. I mean, I did have some friends outside of the Colombian group. I mean, the uh, embassy group, but, you know, none that were part of any kind of a guerrilla group. Right. Well, just for historical reference too, M-19 was part of the group, right? That Steve that took over, um, that invaded the, the capital, took judges hostage. I mean, there there was a, there were a lot of people killed in that raid, right? When they went to dislodge the M-19 folks. Yeah, it was. They they took over the Palace of Justice there. And I forget, was it 23 people were killed, I think? I, I think forget so, yeah. how many were wounded. And that was when Pablo, you know, paid them to go in and destroy all the evidence against him. Destroy all the records, yeah. So um, now let's talk about the actress who played you. What was her name? Oh, my. Joanna. What? Joanna Christie. What did, what, what did you think of her portrayal of you in the series? I thought she did. I, you know, I was pleased with with her. Uh, completely. I was shocked that she could uh, drop her British accent, which is very strong. Um, but uh, I was pleased with with her portrayal of me. I mean, I'm, I mean, she had to follow the script, of course. <laughs> what did you think of Boyd playing Steve? Other than the fact is Boyd smoked and Steve didn't smoke, right? <laughs> well, that's Hollywood, you know. But one of the more interesting dynamics, too, was the relationship between, uh, you know, JP and Steve, obviously. And how did you think on screen? Do you think they captured it well between Pedro and Boyd playing, you know, JP and Steve in the series? Yeah, I did. I did. I think, uh, you know, when we got there, Javier already had a lot of contacts made. And with his, you know, fluent Spanish, he he fit in very well. Uh, whereas Stephen didn't, but um, I think you know over time he learned that uh, you know Stephen had a lot to add to the investigation and um, included him more so than maybe even was portrayed on the show. Yeah, I think he trusted him more than they portrayed on the show for sure. Yeah, because on the show it kind of looked like uh, uh, in the show JP Pedro was holding things back and you know being ready. And the other thing too is, you know, he, he wasn't a member, he, he didn't, wasn't a member of Lost Peppies. He wasn't, you know, hanging out with those guys. I think, I think that's one thing though. That's my only real big quibble I have with the portrayal is they made it look like, uh, for example, Steve, we talked about this before too, is you're throwing somebody out of the helicopter or, or, or and uh, Javier's, you know, uh, dealing with Lost Peppies. I mean, I get it that they do it for Hollywood, but it's one of those things is like, it was so fundamentally wrong and goes against the core of what you guys were doing down there. That's one of those things. How did you even stomach that when you, you found it in the script is that, hey, we're tossing people out of helicopters. JP's going to be palling around with lost peppies and feeding them information. Well, when they, when they uh, send you that check after each episode, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to go back to this, uh, um, the first question you asked her about the, reading that script when they, you know, when they would write an episode, they'd email the script to me and Javier and we would look, we would look through it, you know, read through it and see if we could find anything to help them along with accuracy and make it a little more authentic. And because Connie was portrayed in the show, you know, she was, she got to read the scripts as well and have input. And when she read that part about her and the baby going back to Miami, she's leaving all this out. She doesn't tell you what happened. She went through the ceiling. And so at the premiere of season two, you know, when we go out there, um, we met Eric Newman and his wife for dinner the night before the premiere. And Eric even stood up in the restaurant. He's like, Connie, he's holding his hands up. He's like, Connie, are we good? Are we good? You're not going to kick my ass here. Are you good? 
All right, now, are you going to admit that, Connie? Did no, you? That no, was true, never. wasn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you could see it on camera, you see her nose grows when she tells yeah, stories. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> hey, but I will tell you, the other thing I was ticked off with, um, because as Steve knows, and you know too, I'm a cat person. I mean, we love mm. dogs, but we have a couple cats. It pissed me off until I found out it was just Hollywood, but um, they didn't really kill. They didn't assassinate. No, never. Puff, right? What happened? What, what's the real story behind Puff the Magic Kitty? <laughs> well, Puff was 18 years old, and... Um, he died um, one day when we came in from work, and I think he had a, the vet thought he had a heart attack um, when he got jumped up and ran to, to meet us because I could feel on the bed where he had, it was warmer, he had laid there. When I found him, he was struggling because he always met us at the door, and we, you know, jumped in the car to get him to the vet. Well, one thing that you probably haven't told this whole time is that they rationed electricity while we were in in Bogota. They had a rationing of their power. So every day, I mean, <clears throat> this is the most sensible thing to do, of course, is to turn the power off at 5 o'clock when the beginning of rush hour traffic. So if you can imagine New York City with all the lights off at 5 o'clock, and sometimes they Which came Which brilliant on. politician came up with this idea? <laughs> sometimes the power would come on at 9 or 10 that night, and sometimes they wouldn't. We were lucky enough to be in a building that had a generator, but most Americans didn't. So they could go home, not cook dinner. They had no lights. You know, it was, it was awful. And that was happened to be one of the evenings that we got home. So we had to try to fight traffic to get to the vet shop, you know, to the to the doctor's office with him. By the time we got there, he had already passed in my arms. Um, and the doctor thought he had, from all the signs she could tell, he had had a heart attack. But, yeah, that's what happened to Puff. <laughs> I'm surprised that they they played I mean, obviously there's there's connection. Puff really existed. But, um, yeah, I just, I saw that and I'm like, oh, God, that kind of ticks mm -hmm. me off, you know. <laughs> right, right. Hey, but you mentioned something. Let's go back real quick because you talked about season two, but for season one, um, for the premiere, that was held uh, down in Rio, right? And um, you guys got invited to that, but you, you had to basically, uh, the yeah. cheap bastards from Netflix, the first season, you're going to have to pay your own way. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so we, you know, we couldn't go to that, but they did invite us to season two, uh, the premiere of season two, and that was really cool. We got to walk on the red carpet, see how that works, you know, watch all the stars being asked. You know, when you go down the red carpet, at on the floor is like, oh, I don't know, what would you say, T TMZ, um, um, what are some, uh, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, all those that you see on 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 television now. You know, all of those stations or movie or TV stations are all right. So you know who they are, and they're all shouting out questions at the same time, asking. You know, mostly Stephen and Javier. They ask me a few things, but. And then, you know, everybody's wanting autographs. They signed, I don't know how many autographs. I got some good pictures of all that. But it was really cool. When we got out of the cars, it's just the way it's, you see it on TV. Fans were uh, lined up, you know, behind barriers and, you know, shouting, hey, Steve, hey, Steve. They, they even had sneakers they wanted him to sign. It was so crazy. 
It's pretty crazy. What, what is the, so what's the craziest thing you signed, Murph? Other than, I, I'm sure JP got asked to sign some underwear or bras or something. But <laughs> At that event, that was the sneaker was the craziest thing. That, but they came out with these big posters and these professional-looking photographs. And you know what? We learned from our chauffeur driver when we were leaving that night after the party and everything. I mean, they, they were still there. They even met us at the airport when we were flying out, still wanting autographs the next day. Yeah, and that's what our chauffeur told us. He said, you guys think you're real, and he was an off-duty cop, you know, and he knew who we were, and he's like, you guys are getting pretty famous. You think so, right? And I said, well, you know, I've never had to sign things like this. And he said, just so you know, they take and sell that shit on eBay and Amazon. You know, that's the only reason they want your autographs. (laughs) And that's a lesson I learned from a couple of the, you know, you read stories or learn from some of the big ones. So a lot of times when these big stars like Derek Jeter or other guys, to prevent people from reselling it, they would personalize it. The minute you personalized it and stuff, it, you know, you couldn't reset, yeah, I mean, drop the value of it. So a lot of these people who were just creating autograph factories, oh, I got an autograph pair of sneakers. So where do you think your sneakers ended up at, Murph? You know, on the on the feet of a Colombian drug dealer? <laughs> Brother, I got no idea. I mean, it was funny too, because they would give you these big collages of, of a lot of the, you know, person, the real people from uh, Narcos. And you go to sign, they go, no, 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 sign right next to here. So, you know, they would tell you where to sign on there because they wanted it right next to your, your photograph. You know, it was pretty crazy. But I, I would I do want to add this one thing, and this wasn't during this time, but the craziest autograph that I've seen us be requested is um, I won't even call her a lady, a female at at one private event wanted Javier to sign her butt cheek, <laughs> and that was in front of the whole crowd. It didn't and? happen. It did. Oh no, he did happen. not. Okay. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Beverly there? <laughs> no, no, we were. I forget where. I think we were in Maryland. Oh. <laughs> But you know that trip to Hollywood, Netflix took care of us on that trip. It was it was a cool trip, and we did a lot of sightseeing. That's one of the trips, you know. Like I said, since since Columbia, um, I've gotten to know Javier more on a different level, and uh, he's a really good guy. We you know we got to to spend time with him and Beverly there. Did a lot of sightseeing, and then when they were in Europe, you know, she and I have gone and. And spent time together too, so, and that was good. So, how many of the trips when the when the boys go out speaking, do you get to accompany them on? Well, I could go on all of them if I was, you know, one of those people that wanted to tag along all the time. But um, I, you know, as you know, prefer to have my own life <laughs> and I just do my own thing. I kind of pick and choose the neat places I think uh, I want to go. We went to. Uh, um, Scotland, Ireland, England, um, Barbados, Barbados. Yeah. Um, you know, I was working, I just retired a little more than a year ago. So, um, I had to, you know, try to work around that. Um, but you know, now I just pick and choose where I want to go kind of thing. Little girl from Princeton, West Virginia goes to Bluefield State College, meets this hunk of a man who was arrogant and a jerk, you know, to begin with. And then, I mean, this is one of those trite questions, but it's like, but I mean, it's kind of like, there is no way to imagine that you're doing that and, you know, going from Myrtle Beach, you know, back here, Mm -hmm. there's no way to know that you're going to go from walking down a little street, you know, in Bluefield, West Virginia to walking the red carpet Mm. in Hollywood. (laughs) How weird is it for you to sit back when you watch that series and see this lady portraying you in the series? Oh, I I don't, well, I don't really look at it that way. I look at it as 
you know, she did a good job. Um, I look at it more just as a movie. I, I see more truth in it than maybe Stephen even sees in it. I think it's more than 30% true. Um, not exactly, but there's a lot of truth portrayed there that he might call fictional. Um, I don't know. It's just been a, just a crazy life. Um, I figure everybody has their own story, and who's to say somebody else's story isn't as as good as mine, you know? It's yeah, kinda, but not just, too many people get their story made into a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Just, you just... I've tried a couple times, and it, I <laughs> just don't get anywhere. Funny, I t- there was there was this one funny meme. It's a guy wrote and says, "Hey, I sent my script into Netflix. They wrote back, this is the most compelling script we've seen, uh, except it's the exact script to Die Hard, which of course we did a review. On. He <laughs> called it Mister Shooty Shoot or something like that, you know. But uh, you know, I keep trying. But hey, but you know, kind of final thoughts though too. Um, a lot of people. Columbia went through some tough times, longest running civil war in history. You know, a lot of people killed. Um, it's kind of gotten the rep. Actually, I would tell you, going to Bogota is probably today or Cali is probably safer than going to Chicago, you know, or places like that, right? Or well, Mexico. Just, yeah, Mexico. Yeah. So give everybody kind of your, you know, you did have a one incident, though, you know, you did have one incident where. A lot of gold jewelry down there, a lot of good stuff, but you did get somebody snatched it off your neck, right? Well, you know, in Colombia, like they're, you know, they're known for their emeralds and their high quality gold. Um, And um, we had some private jewelers that would come and bring their jewels to the embassy or even to our home. Um, my mom, my aunt and uncle came to visit. They even, one of them came to the house and just laid out you know, open uh, cases of jewelry for them to buy uh, emeralds. And, <clears throat> you know, you can you can choose quality and the price you want to pay, much lower, of course, than here. And I bought this wonder, this beautiful gold chain. It was a heavy chain. Um, and um, the only time I would wear that chain was usually at work. And I would usually put it on after I got there or either put it under my clothes until I got there. Um, And we were, me and a couple other uh, ladies were walking to lunch one day down, um, you know, during work down the street. We would do that quite often. We had a small cafeteria in the embassy, but we liked to get outside and enjoy the beautiful weather there and walk. And like I said, you could eat out on on the curbside tables and... It happened in just a matter of seconds. This guy on his bicycle came by, snatched that off my neck, and was twirling it around his finger as he went went on down the street. Um, I didn't even feel a tug on my... If I hadn't seen him, I wouldn't have known. I don't know how he did it so smoothly, but I had Chances forgotten. Chances are he'd probably done that once or twice before. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had just forgotten to, you know, tuck it down under my clothes when we were when we were out. It's all it takes is one time. Yeah, but I, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that to say this is that uh, I didn't have near the experience the amount of time down there you guys did, but Columbia's a great place. The people down there are just fantastic. I mean, we were, I was always treated nice when I was down there, the couple trips that I made. You know, um, you know, how was it for you? You feel the same way? I mean, the, the Colombian people, there probably were some down there that resented the Americans being there, but I think overall, most of them welcomed the fact is that they were getting some help, you know, that the Americans were actually viewed as helping them, exactly. helping their country. Exactly. And I don't even know if they, the commoner, 
didn't even look at it that way. And that's one of the things I was going to say when you asked me where I'd like to go back to. The people there are phenomenal. They're not, they're very sincere people, you know, and, and they, they're, they're who they are. There's, you know, it's, uh, I don't know how to explain it. They're just a very, they're simple, but they're good people. And, uh, you don't, you don't know always who to trust, but when it comes to the common Colombian, just like our friend, uh, there, and she's been, um, she was our maid and our nanny with the girls for a short time there before we left. But, uh, she's been to the States several times. Uh, you just don't ask for any better people. Um, and I could go out and I felt very comfortable. Uh, you know, of course I had to watch for the danger factor, but in dealing with people that worked in the shops or, you know, I could make exchanges on my own with very minimal Spanish. Um, um, you just can't say enough uh, good things about Colombia or the Colombian people. Well, they've really upped their tourism game, too, because I've seen commercials now, you know, come back down to Bogota, come down to Colombia, and the pictures, I mean, they really are. The mountains, the from the beaches to the mountains, very few countries do you get go from, you know, your seaside, see the water up to, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand feet, you know, up in the mountains. So And their resources are just unending, you know, not only the jewels, but they have the fruit, uh, the coffee, it just the flowers. It goes on and on and on. I mean it is it is a it's a wonderful country. It's yeah, a shame. They just get that rid of the they had cocaine the, production, yeah. Yeah, the corruption. And I think the people were easy the cup. The people were very vulnerable because of the, you know most of the Colombians are just good, honest people. But I think they were used because they were good. You know they were they were vulnerable. We've gone from getting you six months to coming onto the podcast where it only took twenty four hours to get you to come back for a second episode. So uh, actually, where this is going to be an add on episode, this is going to be great because we went into a lot of detail. Um, what's kind of your final thoughts? You know, as you as you think about this, how has this ride been? How has this journey been from coming from West Virginia, um, small like you say, not even a town but a community, um, moving all over the world? You know, being to all these different places, and now you're back in Florida. How's how's the ride been? Um, interesting, but you know, when you're on, it's like when you're on the ride, you don't think a lot of it. You just live it. You just live it. You make the best of it. And, and that's probably what I would say to any other, um, police officer spouse, especially police officers that are as dedicated as Stephen has been, you know, you, you have to find your own way. Um, I mean, nursing I can't say enough about that as a career because I could get a job anywhere. You can work in so many different areas that it's like, you know, it's exciting all over again. So that worked for me. But there was, you know, we made the best of it. And, and I mean, just sitting here talking about the things we did and the places we went, I would have never, I would have never been able to do that. But, um, it's uh you just you just make the best of it really you do i mean there's hard times there's good times um and they're extreme on both ends but um i don't think that officers spouses or families have ever been given enough credit for what they go through you know um 
the wives have to be very independent because the guys are not there if they're dedicated. I mean, there I saw agents that weren't dedicated. There's a difference. But usually those aren't the ones that make it a difference either. Yeah, so final thought here, too. And Murph, I'll let you weigh in in a second, but can you confirm or deny Steve says he's the best thing that's ever happened to you? <laughs> I think it's the other way around. <laughs> what? I mean, there's no point in arguing this, you know. I, but you know what? I will admit she is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, that's sweet. Well, you have to say that because when this podcast is over, you're only 10 feet from each other. Let me tell you, I'm afraid of this woman. <laughs> <laughs> she knows with our insurance policies, I'm worth more dead than I am alive. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, be careful when you're crossing the street there and watch out for guys on bikes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, look, this has been great, and I'm glad you came back and added to it. And um, I trust me, when this goes out, uh, when I edit it properly to make you sound really good and Steve sound like the schmoob he is, you know, <laughs> you uh, people are going to go, what did What did you see in this guy? I can't believe you hanging out with this guy. Well, if I could add one more thing, you know, the times that we're going through now, people need to realize there's good cops, there's bad cops. You know, there's many more good ones than there are bad ones. And for the most part, they're good guys. So, hey, you can't go and wrong. girls, good guys and girls. A lot of, <laughs> lot of good, a lot more women in law enforcement now than there were, you know, know. when Steve started, when I started. Mm -hmm. So... And I will tell you the one, you made a quick point, I'll finish off with this too, but, you know, we always talk about supporting the military families, uh, but let me tell you, but but I think one thing that goes underappreciated are the police first responder families, because they're on all the time. I mean, it, it's, it's you don't have the choice of going in for somewhere for 13 months, and then you rotate back. You're there doing the work, you know, day after day, so. And, and nursing is the same. I see it as, as so similar yep. because, you know, the, on Christmas and New Year's and all the big holidays, you know, there's people out there working. You know, the nurses are working, the cops are working, and there's bad nurses and good nurses. I hate to hear people go off on the bad nurses. There's many more good nurses than there are bad nurses, too. So, you know, I think those careers line up pretty well together in, in, uh, in that way. So are there good alligators and bad alligators? Where does Al <laughs> no, fit in? I don't think so. <laughs> We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, Murph, I'm going to leave you with the final thought here, too, because you finally wore her down through your persistence. You utilized the same tactics to hunt Pablo as you did on your wife to get her to succumb. So overall, what do you think? You know what? It's it's uh, uh, and not saying it's just because she's sitting behind me with uh, within arm's reach of a pistol um, or firearm, I should say. But um I could have done anything that I've accomplished in my career or in my life without having a strong partner by your side. You've got Trish in your life. You know, Javier's got Beverly with him. Uh, it takes a very strong person to put up with our bullshit and our crap, uh, with being gone all the time, with being responsible for raising your children, all the different things that go along with that. And, uh, you know, I found somebody that I say all the time, life's an adventure. That's why I, I do a lot of the things that I do now. And I found somebody who was willing to go on that adventure with me. You know, I said at the beginning, she owned her own motorcycle when I met her. How can you not love a woman that owns her own motorcycle, right? <laughs> and then the, I mean, just, she's never hesitated. Um, when we went to Columbia, you know, I mean, it, I was not going to go. She wasn't going to go. It's not one of those things. We've always, you know, she went to language school with me. She's always gone with me. Even when I did a three-month TDY in Freeport, Bahamas, after Kevin had been shot, she would come over every weekend or every other weekend, you know, because we're marriage and it's a partnership and that's the way it's supposed to be in our eyes. 
So <clears throat> it's, uh, I never, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think we'd ever get her on the show. Uh, my two daughters kind of weighed in and we might have ganged up on her a little bit <laughs> to get her on here. But like you said, when she started talking, we could get her to be quiet. <laughs> Oh man, it's, I wish I would have had informants like you and <laughs> just get them singing. And you said the same thing, Morgan, that she's very humble. Um, she's just like Sherry Foster. Nobody wants to hear her story. Everybody wants to hear their story. You know, that's why I put it out to all our fans. Let me know your thoughts. And we were overwhelmed with responses about get Connie on the show. We want to hear her story. So um, I'm just real anxious to see the listenership and how it goes with her. And so I can come back and go, ha ha, see, I'm right. You're wrong. They wanted to hear your story. And then I'll get slapped. Yeah. I'll leave you with this final thought. Then we're going to close off. How many women can say they were in the same bed as Pedro Pascal? <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be quite a few, but none that might yeah, want to admit to it. <laughs> but I got a picture of it, and you might see it on our website. You might see it. Okay. Well, hey, Connie, thanks again so much. Again, this is part two, part three, four, five, and six with Connie will be coming out later this year, right? Oh, my gosh. No, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. All right, guys. Well, hey, uh, hey, well, this is the second time we say thank you guys for tuning in. Stay tuned now for the second debrief. First of all, like I said, we tried so hard to get her onto the show, and then it's like we couldn't keep her off of the show. She's asked to come back and do episode part three, part four, part five, and part six sometime this year. Yeah, I don't think we'll be getting her back on the show. Uh, but just, uh, again, just so proud that she came on the show. And I'm really happy about this being the first show of 2022. You know, our listeners took so so much care of us and and made us into a successful podcast just by tuning in and listening to us. And to all have four a, of you, all four of you, verified listeners, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> and and to have you know Connie come on and finally finally tell her story. I mean, Javier and I've been trying. This is our sixth, seventh. We're going into our seventh year now of our worldwide speaking tour. You know, COVID killed us for two years here, but Connie has never told her story. So I'm just tickled to death that she did it and, and came through. And and if I ever do buy her a new car, I'll let you guys know what it is. That's right. And other thing too, real quick, real quick thing. Uh, apparently I dipped into the eggnog a little bit too early. The year was January 3rd, 1922. I forgot Murph was wrong, but I forgot to tell him what year he was wrong about. So what year was it? January 3rd, 1922. And he now starts off the new year. Oh, for one, we're going to see if he can improve his odds this year. But Hey, anyway, guys, if you enjoyed this as if, as well as all of our other episodes, Head on over to both Apple Now and Spotify. Hit those five stars. Tell us what you think about it. Leave us some feedback. Guys, we really are working on this next year. We're going to make a lot of changes and improvements. We really want to make this a great place for you guys to come and listen to the kind of stories you're not going to hear anywhere else. Head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. You're going to have to go there because that's the place where you're going to see Pedro Pascal in bed with Murph's wife. So that's right. That's right. Going to be, that's going to be the headline. That's going to be the headline. <laughs> and, you know, we'll be constantly updating it as we add merch, as we do other things. But you got to also follow us on social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But head on over to PayPal.com slash Game of Crimes. We have got some, we're going to have some fun stuff coming up. I think we're going to, as we finish out, Steve, the, the one thing we'll be need to think about too is we've always been adding an extra bonus episode in each time. I mean, above and beyond what we promised because mm -hmm. we did the whole narco series, 12 episodes of you and Javier talking about the real DEA narcos on real DEA narcos. So we've got some things coming up. Uh, we're going to 
put some new content out there, which I think you guys are just going to love. But head on over to, uh, you know, patreon.com slash game of crimes. And let me tell you, it just, it's going to be, you will not be disappointed. We just, we will over deliver each and every time, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what you said, we've got some new surprises coming this year. Uh, we're working on them now, so we can't tell you about them, but uh, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with some of the things we come up with down the road here. And we should, we should make a decision now. Do we want to review Die Hard 2 for next year's Christmas movie, or we're going to have to find another Christmas movie, or do we just re- review Die Hard again because it is the greatest Christmas movie ever made? Well, we need to put it out for the players and let them decide what they want to hear. Is it going to be Die Hard 2, Die Hard 2, or Die Hard 2? Yeah, or it could be, well, we'll need to see. I mean, I, I need to go back and rewatch some of those, but again, you know, thank you guys for that. That was, yeah. again, having Rick Massa on there from LAPD SWAT. That was fantastic. Steve, I think we're going to change our, our uh, part of our outro to say, Steve, you know, before we go, remember, maintain your reconnoiter. <laughs> Maybe someday we'll figure out what that means. We'll figure out that what we, but in the meantime, we know what this means. We want to thank you guys once again for playing the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes. 